Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a company dedicated to helping all businesses with their people-related decisions. They do that by giving clients access to the best human capital, due diligence and background checks available on prospective candidates, business partners, tenants, and more. To learn more, simply visit www.peopleg2.com. Today, we're privileged to have with us the founder and president of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, Chris. Good afternoon, and thank you again for joining me. My name is Chris Dyer, and I'll be your host here for the next hour on the Talent Talk Radio Show. We have a great uh, lineup of guests here today, and also throughout the rest of the year, so I hope you'll uh, continue uh, tuning in and and checking out uh, what our guests have to say. Just in case this is the first time you have tuned into the show, Talent Talk Radio Show features a wide range of guests who care about talent management, leadership development, and company culture. So in the business world, talent has a couple different meanings, and we try to explore both of those meanings. And the first one is how it relates to success and how really talented people achieve that success, kind of what are their secrets. And then the second is how talent relates to human resources and how HR leaders find the best candidates for their companies. So this show really tries to explore as deep as we can into those two areas and come up with some great secrets that maybe you didn't know along with how talented individuals impact a company's culture. The guests on the Talent Talk radio show include CEOs, HR executives, entrepreneurs, staffing, recruiting specialists, coaches, authors, just about you know any type of really successful business leader you can think of from just about any industry you can think of. We try to have them on the show. And what usually happens is I'm at a networking event or a conference uh, where maybe I'm speaking, and I have the privilege of meeting uh, one of these inspiring leaders, and I basically strong arm get him to come on this show, and we talk about all sorts of things like how to cultivate talent, develop leaders, manage culture, and most importantly, how we can help impact your own career in a positive way. So I want to thank those of you who are tuning in live here every Tuesday. If you have a question, send it to at uh, peopleg2. If you can, use that hashtag talent talk. My producer, Mike, who is uh, sitting right here next to me today, will be feed me those best questions and we'll try to work them into the show you can also send us other guest suggestions maybe other future question suggestions anything you want to talk to us about just send it that way but i know that most of you are actually probably tuning in after the fact after we've already taped this show on the podcast because you're joining the other 170,000 subscribers we currently have on the podcast feed and we are really excited and thank all of you who are tuning in when it's convenient for you to listen to the show but now we've gotten through all the business here, uh, the first half of the show, let me go ahead and talk to you about who we have on. My first guest will be uh, Brittany Hodak. She's the co-founder of uh, ZinePack. And then we'll have Leslie Manley uh, here live in the studio. She's the president and CEO of International Management Systems. But let's go ahead and get started with my first guest, Brittany. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. So tell us about yourself and a little bit about your company, ZinePack. Sure. So it's actually pronounced Zine Pack, Zine like pack. magazine package. Well, and it wouldn't be a show if I didn't mess up the pronunciation of something. So <laughs> right off the bat, we've done it. So it's no. I pointed out because magazines is the bread and butter of what we do. I co-founded the company about four and a half years ago with my partner Kim. And we partner with celebrities and brands to help them make really cool collectible fans that activate or products that activate their super fans. So that's where the name Zine Pack came from. It's a magazine package filled with lots of cool stuff for super fans. Awesome. And then and tell us uh, how did you end up you know, doing this and maybe what kind of what, what path were you on maybe just prior to this as well? 
Sure. So my background is mostly in music marketing. Tim and I met working at an advertising agency in New York. I had been there for about a year and a half doing marketing for brands like LG and A&E. And before that, I had worked at a record company for three and a half years, a division of Sony Music. So my passion has always been in music and entertaining from the time I started working at a radio station when I was 17 years old. So Zine Pack just seemed like a really nice way to start a company to do what I love full-time, helping other super fans like myself get a little bit closer to the artists that they cared about most. Well, that sounds like a really exciting you know, way to spend your day, to have dealing with these types of people and really being able to help support you know, that content and the fun things that their fans really want to have. Because, you know, there are a lot of people out there that want and want to live, breathe, and, you know, experience everything that their, you know, kind of given celebrity might want to do. And it's funny, I can think about maybe certain certain people, maybe, maybe they're into Justin Bieber or maybe something else, and you might laugh at them. But then I can also think... I subscribe to certain things for like, you know, things that Tim Ferriss does. He's an author and, you know, he, he, he'll send out certain things and I want to know everything he's thinking about, everything he's reading. And so I'm doing the exact same thing. It's just whatever it is that's important to me. So it really is a fascinating business that you're doing. Thank you. And we've really found that being a super fan is certainly more of a psychographic than a demographic. They come in all different ages and are passionate about all different things. We are always fascinated to see how fans react when we do projects for people that are definitely not following falling in the demo of the teenage girl who sometimes, you know, teenage girls get a bad rap. That's who people think about when they think of the super fans of people like Justin Bieber or One Direction. But there are super fans for people like the Beach Boys and George Strait and for every single sports team and so many other pop culture icons like cult movies and, you know, really interesting video games and books. So, yeah, it's been really fun to kind of explore the different fandoms that exist and look for ways to keep all of those super fans happy. And and despite, you know, how interesting all this is, there's still that you know, huge step that somebody has to take to decide to become an entrepreneur to actually start their own company. So can you maybe comment about what caused you to really, you know, take that step forward? Sure. So I think what propelled me to be an entrepreneur was, number one, meeting a really great business partner in the way of Kim that we felt like, you know what, maybe we can take on the world together and do this together. And number two, just feeling like if I were ever going to do it, the the time was right. I was 27 and Kim was 25 when we started Zine Pack. So we were fortunate enough to be in a position where, you know, we didn't have a mortgage payment. We didn't have kids that we were taking care of. And we said, individually or collectively, if we either decide we hate this or we fail at this, the worst thing that's going to happen is we're going to go back into the real world a year from now and try to get a job somewhere and have CEO on our resumes and, you know, say to a hiring manager, oh, I tried this really interesting startup and you know what? It wasn't for me. So that seemed like a very low potential risk for a very high potential reward. And I'm sure you had a lot of things going for you. And one of those things on your resume that I found particularly interesting, and maybe you can explain this to us, is you might be our very first uh, guest who's ever been a Guinness World Record holder back in 2005. So what was that all about? 
Yes, that is such a fun story. When I was a senior at the University of Central Arkansas in Conway, Arkansas, I found myself a few months away from graduation without a thesis project to graduate because the band who I had been focusing my thesis on for about a year and a half suddenly broke up and the project I was working on wasn't going to come out anymore. So I was scrambling for a thesis and because I was graduating in December, I decided to do something that would help out. So I was looking for things that I could do that had a charitable tent, charitable tent to them and decided to create the world's largest Christmas stocking. So I Tom Sawyer, a bunch of my friends, into helping me, and we created a Christmas stocking that was almost 55 feet tall, and we filled it up with close, close to 13,000 toys that had been donated by people across the community, and then those were all given to children in need. Wow, that's a that, that's a fantastic story that you were able to, you know, I think I think that really shows the kind of way in which an entrepreneur thinks. You take something that's bad, you take a real problem, and if you can find some other way to solve your problem, and at the same time do it spectacularly and maybe even impact the community at large, that's really the kind of DNA of, of someone who who wants to be in business for themselves and wants to make a, a big difference, as opposed to saying, boo-hoo, this didn't work out for me, I'm going to have to maybe go back, do it again, spend another year, you know, that kind of thing. Do you agree with that, that kind of that mentality is a little bit different there? I definitely agree. I always tell people, if you're going to go for something, go all out. And I think entrepreneurs have that in spades. And I heard someone say, I wish I could remember whose quote this was, but I heard someone say at a conference a few months ago, if you can Google something, you can do it. We live in a world now where there's no excuse for not being able to accomplish something as an entrepreneur, saying, I don't know how to do it, or I don't know anyone who does that kind of thing, isn't an excuse that flies anymore. Because if you have access to Google, you can figure out how to do pretty much anything in the world. Oh, and that, 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 that really does wrap it up perfectly. And I'm sure that that maybe is what uh, helped push you to also make an appearance on uh, Shark Tank. I, I certainly won't uh, say that I'm friends with Damon John, but I certainly have met him a few times. We have been, I've been on Miller Coors, the Tap the Future entrepreneurial event. I'm going to be a judge coming up in July for that. I'll, I'll see him there as well. But uh, what what got you to, to you know really push you to, to do everything that it takes to be on that show and to hopefully be successful? That's a great question. Shark Tank was such a fun experience. And the producers of the show reached out to us to invite us to be on, actually. Great. It wasn't something we had thought about doing because we thought we were a little bit too much of an agency-type company to really appeal to the sharks. But casting directors reached out after seeing that Kim and I were the only self-funded company on the Inc. 35 under 35 list in 2014. Mm-hmm. So. All, literally all 34 other companies had raised millions and millions of dollars, and we were self-funded. So a casting director reached out and invited us to go on the show, and we talked about it and said this could be a really cool opportunity and a really great way to help spread the word about Zine Pack. Now, we won't ask you to tell any in- any outcomes. We'll, we'll expect everyone to go and watch the show themselves. But, you know, as far as the experience goes, you know, can you maybe talk about some of the, the highs and lows of that? Sure. I would say for any entrepreneur who's thinking about going on Shark Tank, definitely do it because it's a really fun experience that makes sure you're prepared. Kim and I went in like you would prepare for any important meeting, but almost like you would 
prepare for a game. We said, we're going to watch all of the game footage we can. Let's look at every single past episode. Mm -hmm. Let's figure out their plays. Let's analyze what they said, what they did, and make sure that no matter what question one of those sharks asks us, we're going to have a really great answer for it. We took the time to actually write out probably close to 200 potential questions and what our answers to those questions would be. Well, wow, that's fantastic because that's that really gets now into negotiation skills and coming up with what are those potential questions, what are the potential answers, what are the different angles. It's, it's really a wonderful show. I think it's really done a lot of good things for people who want to be entrepreneurs to help really reinforce the idea of the American dream in a positive way. Probably the only negative one that I, uh, I always think of is I forget the guy in the middle, the main main guy's name off the top of my head. I just forgot, but. I think it's Kevin. Ke- it's Kevin. There we go. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I've seen him. He'll give an offer, and if you don't want to take his offer right then, then he pulls it off the table, and it's like, but you're there to talk to all the different sharks, you know. So I always think that's not really fair, but I guess he doesn't play by the rules. So <laughs> <laughs> he makes the rules. He makes the rules exactly. Well, you mentioned a little bit about uh, you know how they found you and being on that Inc. Thirty Five Under Thirty Five and. Kind of be on the top thirty startups. So, you know, a few of the many different awards and accolades that you've been able to rack up. I'm sure your 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 bookshelf is uh, buckling under the pressure of all the awards you've been racking up. But what is it like to be recognized in this way for you, kind of on, on a personal level? I mean, you're out there doing the work. You want to be successful, but you know, at the end of the day, when you, someone has has taken the time to recognize you like that, what's that feeling like? Well, I would be lying if I said it wasn't awesome. <laughs> of course, anytime you get that recognition, it, it feels fantastic, and, and it's nice to have somebody, especially if it's an organization or a magazine or some other authority that you really trust and put a lot of respect in. It feels great to be recognized. But for a startup, what's really important with those awards and recognition is the business that you can potentially generate from it. So we look at all of those you know, under 30, under 40 list, best this, best that, as the potential for a little bit of earned media. And if we can turn that into a little bit of PR, then maybe somebody who's in the position to want to hire us is going to read that over their morning coffee and say, oh, this company looks interesting. I've heard of them a few different times now. Maybe I should reach out to them. And that's where the true value comes from for us as entrepreneurs. Well, especially if, you know, you can capture their attention by being on that list, and then if they will say, oh, and what they do might lead me to what I exactly what I've been looking for, which is how do I get more of, you know, insert celebrity or insert sports team into that place. So you have such a great connection to, you know, the, the public at large, which is certainly a little bit different than some of the businesses that we talk to, even my own business, which is a more of a business to business play. You're, you're looking at a consumer basis. And so you know, somebody finds you from any walk of life, they may want, you know, to, to have that exposure or that experience that you're offering. Exactly. And I get asked sometimes from people, wow, how do you guys win so many contests? I always see you on these lists. Do you have a huge PR agency or what are you doing? And we don't have a PR agency. Kim and I just hustle. And I always tell people, you see that we win a lot of contests, but what you don't see is that for every contest we win, we probably lose five. And Mm -hmm. a lot of times it's just about 
participating and showing up and saying, I'm going to enter every single grant contest or recognition contest or top list contest that I can, because in most cases, you're not going to get recognized if you don't enter. So a lot of it is about just, you know, putting your name in the hat and saying, hey, I'd like to be considered for this honor. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's so many different mediums where Gary Vanderchuk is all over the place, and I think his number one common message is hustle. Right. I mean, he's constantly pushing people to be working harder and that, you know, doing something right is better than sitting at home complaining that, you know, you haven't gotten the business or you're not doing it what you want. Just that absolute effort and hustle is a huge component to being successful. And you're just using the law of averages, right? If you're entering a hundred contests, you're, you're bound to be recognized in a few of them, you're bound to be able to get something out of it. And over long term, you decide whether or not that's an effective way for you guys to, to do your business. Exactly. Well, I want to talk a little bit about uh, company culture here, and maybe you could first talk about how you effectively translate the culture you expect uh, to your employees as they come in. Sure. Well, one of the things that's really important about the culture at ZinePak, Kim and I wanted to make sure that every single one of our employees, interns, freelancers, partners, collaborators, feels like it's a very open environment for ideas because we both worked before in environments where our ideas weren't welcome or we were made to felt like, feel like your idea is only important if you're the most senior person at the table or if you are the one who's working the most hours every day. And that's not reality. Reality is that a good idea can come from anywhere. And sometimes it's the person with the least experience or the freshest perspective that's going to have an idea that can turn into the most valuable new thing that you've heard. So that's one really important piece of the culture at ZinePak, and we have what we call town hall meetings. Every time we start a new project or take on a new client, we write a little brief about it, and we get everyone in the company together and give them the opportunity to share any ideas that they have at all. And some of our best and most valuable ideas come from this forum, and it's a really great way to kind of remind everybody that we're all on the same team and we're all working toward the same goal. Another really cool thing that I like a lot at ZinePak, particularly this month, um, we have something called the Culture Captain Program, and it's a rotating program where a different member of the team each month is in charge of all of the fun at the company. And I say I like it a lot this month because this month I'm the person who is Culture Captain. (laughs) So it's a lot of fun. We get a dedicated budget for that person to plan whatever they want to plan. Yesterday we had a little canvas painting session midway through the afternoon for everybody at the company to participate in. And in the past, we've done everything from ice skating to going to Dave & Buster's to play games to having in different guest experts come talk to us. And then a lot of times there's a volunteering aspect to it, too. So there's a slant of let's figure out what we can do to help make the community we're in a little bit happier for, for people who aren't so fortunate this month, whether that means volunteering at a shelter or sending cards to injured veterans or buying Christmas gifts for kids, whatever it may be. Well, that sounds like a great program. I mean, you know, having that kind of rotating component as well is really nice and gives everyone the opportunity to, to customize that and, and to think and to think about their fellow staff members, what they might like and what they might enjoy as well, which is 
you know, you're always looking for your, your staff to have an element of empathy, whether it's to the, their fellow employee or to your clients or whoever, but to be practicing that empathy muscle is always good. So that so it seems like a really great way that you've been able to, to get them to think about those type of things. Yes, thank you. So maybe from a from a talent recruitment and talent management perspective, maybe you could talk a little bit about how you feel like, or if you are, effectively managing the talent around you to, to really maximize their potential you know, on an individual level. You know, you could more simply said, how do you get the most out of each person when they walk in the door? That's a great question. I think for for talent management, a lot of it goes back to what I said before about making everybody feel like their ideas are welcome all the time because at least in our industry and at our company, Zinepack, it's all about being creative. If somebody is missing the creativity element, then they could be replaced by a robot. And we have a lot of artificial intelligence and and robot type stuff that we use already, whether it's using an app or a shortcut or even, you know, we have an an artificial intelligence assistant called Amy that we use. It's a really great tool that books meetings. So in every element of a job, if somebody is not being creative and not adding value by saying, how can I be more efficient? How can I look for a smarter way to solve this problem? How can I do a better job of getting from point A to point B? That's a task that at some point could be automated. So I think it's about empowering people to not just think about how do I get this job done, but how do I get this job done in a smarter, more efficient, more creative way and making people feel like they always have that freedom to innovate because what's a recipe for disaster at a startup is when you have one person saying, I'm going to tell everybody how to do their job or I'm going to give everybody a set of directions to follow. A much better way is to say, I'm going to make sure everybody on the team knows all of our goals and all of our objectives and then is empowered to figure out the best way to handle every every situation and every scenario that they come across. One of my favorite sayings is, and I hope you might agree with this, is you micro-train, but you macro-manage. Exactly. And, yeah. If you can just make sure everyone knows what, what to do and how to do it and what their boxes that they live in, but then you let them decide how to do that. And it, it, it's sometimes scary when I talk to companies to go and try to help them with their culture, and they've got these crazy rules of, you know, that just don't need to be in place because they're trying to control behavior all the time. And instead of, instead of having a, a larger idea, you know, getting everyone on board to be working together, they want to decide when you can go to the bathroom or when your lunch break is or, you know, just these kind of crazy things that don't need to happen uh, for the average employee. And and they think that's going to somehow make them more efficient and, and better workers when really it has the complete opposite effect. We've all you know been in those crazy environments. Exactly. So I was wondering... Um, Given the the amount of hustle and the amount of accomplishments that you've had, given you know how many years you've been on this earth, you may have read a few books, or you might be reading a great one right now that you might want to share with us that you think uh, the listeners ought to check out. Yes, one of my favorite books that I recommend that everybody read is a book by a guy named Jason Fried. He's the founder of a company called Basecamp, which is the project management software that we use here at Zinepack. Mm-hmm. We could not get through a single week without it. So that book, Rework, is one that I suggest to all of my friends. Another great book is called The Checklist Manifesto. 
And then the book that I'm reading right now is by the best-selling author Gretchen Rubin. It's called Better Than Before, and it's about habit formation and what makes people do the things they do every day. And I'm not all the way done with it, so I can't fully recommend it, but I'm about 80% <laughs> of the way done and love it so far. Well, it's not the first time it's been recommended on the show, so it's probably a great book to check out. And for anyone listening, if you haven't checked out Basecamp or even just something similar to that, it's, it's a huge, hugely beneficial system. For us, just from an onboarding standpoint, we bring on somebody and we just dump everything we think we need to do for that person and what what training do they need and who's responsible for doing it and helps us stay organized, but it really helps that person who's being trained to know what they, they don't know what they don't know, but now they know there is all these things that they need to know and they know exactly who to go look for or who to talk to uh, to get that training that they need. And it, it that program is just fantastic. It, it can help any company, any space be more effective uh, with anything. So, And you can invite clients and guests and people to contribute. It's fantastic. We feel the exact same way. Yeah. Well, great. Well, uh, it's been a real pleasure uh, having you on the show and learning so much more about ZinePack. I've at least said it once correctly on the show here today. <laughs> um, but um, if people are interested in, in learning more uh, about your company or maybe they want to see if you offer something uh, for, for, for their celebrity, you know, how can they reach out and learn more? They can go to our website, which is zinepack.com. That's Z-I-N-E-P-A-K.com. And we're at Zinepack on all social media. And then I'm at Brittany Hodak on social media. Well, I'm sure within a few years you're going to have conquered the world, and we're going to want you to have come back at some point and tell us all the other incredible things you've done. So, I uh, hope you're right. I'll be happy to do it. Yeah, I'll have you come back and, and share with us uh, a bit more as you've... Uh, as, as you've done that. Maybe, maybe you'll be the one on Shark Tank. Maybe you'll be the, the in a few years, you'll be take someone's spot. So, But anyways, uh, Brittany, thank you so much for being on the show. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. Great talking to you. All right. Great talking to you, too. Up next, right. Leslie Manley after this quick commercial break. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. Don't forget, you can visit us at talenttalkradio.com and visit, or not visit, but listen to all the uh, past shows. You can also open up that podcast app on your iPhone, your tablet, your Android, whatever it may be, and subscribe to have those shows sent to you each week on your phone and listen to any of the other shows that you might be interested in. We have quite a wide range of, of guests that have been on the show for the last few years, and uh, I'd love to have you go back and listen to some of that content. So... Up next, we have our uh, second guest here. We have Leslie Manley. She's the president and CEO of the International Management Systems Company. And I know her as well from my uh, ABL group, which we've mentioned a few times on this show and had quite a few of the members. So she's now adding to that illustrious list, we'll say. So, Leslie, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris. It's a pleasure to be here. So tell us a little bit about yourself and, of course, uh, what your company does. Well, I am a serial hard worker, and I've been in the IT staffing industry for about 30 years now. I originally joined IMS back in the early, no, actually, I'm sorry, late 1980s, 1989. I worked with them for 22 years through a progression of positions, starting as an account manager and ultimately found myself in the position in 2009 to take the company over as the new owner and president. Mm -hmm. And so what was that transition like? Because it was a process of, what, maybe 20 years to kind of get into that and then then to then take over the reins completely. What was that like? 
Well, it wasn't an intentional transition. It just kind of happened due to the economic climate at the time. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, I had the foundation built up over the years of my progression through the company to feel comfortable taking the leadership, but certainly it had challenges that I hadn't been faced with prior to that, you know, just having been an employee. Yeah. What were some of those big differences then in in having all that pressure on you, you have all the responsibility, and... People don't always understand that component of it, of what an entrepreneur or CEO goes through, as opposed to you may be really high up, but you, you know, if you're the, you're only a vice president, but you can technically go get another job tomorrow and you can, you know, not have to think about it tonight if you don't want to. It's a little different, right? Very much so. And that would bottom line be the difference. There's not so much accountability when you're an executive for an organization, but when you take over that realm or helm you obviously have the bottom line responsibility that clearly was my biggest challenge in going into uncharted territory for me previous to that experience and it took me a little bit of time to kind of set the foundation on how I would handle that and finance it and that would probably be my biggest challenge in making the leap from employee to owner right so you made the transact the transition, excuse me, and do you feel that there was anything had to change though within your own leadership style or approach to you know really managing the overall operations of the company? I would say both internal and external in that respect, having a boss prior to that, I always had that caveat that I could use with a client, well let me check with management and see uh-huh. if we can get that approved. So obviously that little subterfuge went away Mm -hmm. and on the internal side recognizing that I had more responsibility with these people beyond you know friendship and relationships with them and and leadership I started to feel responsible for their futures and you know their well-being as well right right yeah it's certainly different but when you have that it's not really an excuse, but it's just sort of a, you can pass off that thing. You know, I need to ask my boss or need to ask you know, the other person. It gives you that little brief amount of time to think about it, right, that you lose when you're the owner. Like, well, oh, the buck stops with you, so can we have an answer right now, please? <laughs> Most definitely. Have to be much more on your game, I think. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, you know, so you, you've been with the company for over 25 years, and I'm sure what you've seen in the way of a cultural change of, and shift has been pretty dramatic from you know start to, to where you are now within the company, both as an employee as the owner. So can you maybe talk a little bit about some of those changes that you've seen over time as it relates to how the, you know, the company operates internally? Certainly. Because of the infrastructure of the former leadership, we found ourselves in a in very costly overhead predicament and having been there for 22 years and driven to a brick-and-mortar office in a prestigious office tower in Marina del Rey and not having one visitor in 22 years, I realized maybe that facade wasn't necessary to be effective in what we were doing. Really evaluating how we operate, it made a lot of sense to me to try a virtual model Mm -hmm. when I took the company over in keeping our overhead as low as possible. It was a bit of a challenge to get buy-in from some of the key people that I was fortunate to retain to come to the new organization. But I think over time that we've found ways to create and maintain synergy, even in a virtual organization, that we're constantly looking for better ways to strive and achieve that. But 
that would have been our biggest challenge, but the reward on the al- alternate side of that was, you know, far more strategic for us in a long run. Mm-hmm. And then, and then specifically because you're you're dealing with a very unique component of staffing and looking at the IT uh, positions, are there some things that are really unique or or different about staffing for that particular component as opposed to just you know recruiting or staffing in general? From our perspective, there is. I think that technology is such an ever changing and challenging industry that that probably creates the biggest opportunity for us to find ways to improve our service. Leading technology is something that most clients are after getting a a foothold in and finding ways to qualify and vet people that have emerging technology experience is an ongoing challenge for us. Mm Likewise, a lot of the IT talent is not as regionally focused as other type of staffing might be. So we find that we have to learn ways of virtual qualifying people. And sometimes even those can be shiftily subterfuge so that you're not actually dealing with the end Mm. candidate. And you, you have to find ways to really ferret out who you're qualifying so that you're sending the same person to the job that you're qualifying virtually over there. Yeah, that's got to be a real challenge. I mean, I remember one time we had somebody and India was going to do a project for us and then come to find out that they had subbed it to somebody else who had subbed it to somebody else. And so when we couldn't get an answer and you couldn't get these things back and it was we realized what was going on. But you're right, we couldn't verify that. They tell you they're going to do the work and you you trust people are going to do that and you don't know that they're going to, you know... (laughs) Absolutely. Pass along. And to be honest, if they would have subbed it off 10 times down the road, if I just would have gotten the work done correctly and in the time they promised it to me, I probably wouldn't have cared, but they didn't. Exactly. And then that, that seems to happen a lot when that, when that you know, they start subbing down the line. And so you're saying, well, maybe they, they might represent themselves and then end up sending somebody else into the job to do the work? Exactly. Well, in phone interview situations, that was something that was happening fairly increasingly. So we changed and started doing Skype interviews so that you could get a visual on the individual. But Mm -hmm. even that, with the feed discrepancy, sometimes it's been questioned whether or not that individual is really giving the answer, even on a Skype interview. So that's a, a very new challenge that we've just recently faced. Wow. That's uh, that's incredible. Some of the things that they're trying to do to such a gateway, you're trying to verify that it is really them. Wow. Well, you know, uh, sort of you're credited with you know revitalizing the corporate infrastructure for your company, and then so can you talk about you know what do you think was the the number one thing that you did to really achieve that revitalization for the company once you took over and you got to a point where okay now we're, we're doing pretty good maybe we're not where we want to be but we're now doing we're not going to die. Right, mm-hmm. you're no longer in the "I'm going to die tomorrow" scenario. Do you think there was something? Was it maybe the virtual? Was it something else that maybe you did that really made a big impact? And on that, I think targeting and focusing on the key players in our company and appealing to them to stay with the team and what that team would look like going forward. We, the one thing that I did probably the most dramatic in our culture is to infuse transparency. I'm a strong believer in sharing pain and gain and opening the kimono, 
both internally and externally, I feel that that created a lot of buy-in and camaraderie amongst the team to feel like they could trust in the direction we were going. And looking at good and bad, we all knew where we are going each step of the way. So I think that our people really value that type of leadership and feeling like they have an open-door policy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that can be an interesting challenge because if you can build something the way people want it, but it still needs to also work for the company as well. And you have to have the right people on board who are, I guess, thinking about those things, not only for themselves, but for the company. So did, do you feel like you had a, 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 some people in, in place that really wanted that good mix? Yes, there's some there's some amount of pushback and challenge sometimes because it is a little bit different in a corporate culture. Mm-hmm. But I believe that all in all, the entire mix of people that we have, particularly in leadership, have the same mindset and the same ultimate desire. So we talk a lot about how to get there and strategy. We've recently um, brought a new executive into the company and. We've kind of got a a leadership team at this point, so I'm really excited about where that's going to take us because it's much more fun to operate when you've got collective ideas instead of just your own and, you know, limited few. The more differences that you can bring into the company of people that have had other scenarios that they could apply to us to bring success, we're, we're very receptive to that. Yeah, and bringing in more of strategic thinking and, like you said, helping you in those day-to-day approaches to different conversations or into solutions. I think people forget if you have a C in your title, you're probably, in the beginning, you're probably pretty lonely because you have to make a lot of those by themselves. But if you bring in some other executive help, that can really change the dynamic quite a bit and, and feeling like at least you have somebody else you can lean on a little bit, right? Yes. To help you with some of those those tough decisions. Yes. Yeah. So what do you think then has really, you know, now that you've, you've gotten going and you've gotten over that hump, what's really driving the success, especially, if, you know, your, your, your client success, you know, with the positions that you're filling for them? What, what's really that, that, the defining characteristic there? What, how, how are you defining success right now in, in this, you know, today? I think what makes us most successful is the long-term relationship strategy that we have in building our client base. We're very focused on long-term success, both for our clients, our company, and our consultants. We take their individual considerations into consideration in every step of our job. We're, we pride ourselves on communication and, again, just giving bad feedback as, long, as well as good feedback to maintain that honesty component and transparency so they know that our objective is to truly help them on either side. (laughs) So they get another thought there. I was like, does she have another thought? No, no, no. (laughs) That's all right. A little bit of a pause on radio, I think, is a good thing. So. Uh, some people are afraid of it. I don't know. I, I thought it was it. I was sitting because <laughs> you're used to the microphone. I'm, I'm used. To, maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. Yeah, I was. I don't know. What, what, what are they going to do to you? you? Not listen again? I don't know. It's no big deal. <laughs> so I, I was one question I wanted to ask, and I wasn't sure if you really wanted me to ask this, but it was about books and and things that people are reading. And you said you're not someone who who traditionally goes reader. Re- reads books, but does that include fiction? 
Yes, I'm, I'm more of a magazine or okay. a technology or a trade reader. Trade, I, okay, good. That's that's reading. It doesn't have to be a, a you know a hardbound book with a you know some old author on it. I mean, so what are the things that you access in your kind of regular basis that get you excited? What are you reading that gets you excited? Is it certain trade publications or what is it that you're looking at? I wouldn't say it gets me excited. I'd say it keeps me up at night. Right. <laughs> Only because, again, our industry is so trending and it's so critical to be on top of those trends that mm-hmm. I find that I surround myself with experts rather than try to become one myself because there's just no possible way for any individual really to stay as leading edge as they need to be on the various components of our business you know it's not just applications you've got infrastructure you've got you know networking all sorts of different trending that you need to be aware of so in terms of what i try to stay linked into that would be the job boards i belong to a lot of uh, user groups online and some that i you know visit at their monthly meetings and i like just general mindless reading in terms of keeping myself balanced right well and that's fantastic advice because what you just said was you're looking at the areas where you can get the most competitive advantage right away you know what are the trends is there a particular skill set is there a new program is there a new certification something that's really hot that everybody wants that you can make sure you're finding those people first to be able to place, place them into jobs but you also said something that was really interesting about finding those experts around you and I think this is one thing that um, the millennial generation is going to have to c- really cope with and that they are good at a lot of things and you don't have a whole lot of them who want to be really great at a particular thing. That's a different way of thinking. And yet in most jobs, in most industries, what everyone is looking for is someone who's really good at this one thing. Are you really good at this program? Are you really good at managing? Are you really good at, you know, marketing, whatever? But yet that's sort of the prevalence of, of, of Google and the internet and everything makes everyone you know, good at a lot of things. It's easy to find out the information, right? But I can look up a video on how to play the oboe, but it doesn't mean I can actually play it. You know what I mean? I haven't actually spent all those hours practicing to be really good at it. So uh, it's good advice for people in your position to find those experts, but it's also good advice for those who are coming up the ranks to try to specialize where they can to really show value for themselves as they want to try to move up the corporate ladder or get a better paying job or better, whatever that better for them means, right? Absolutely. So, you know, you, you've done a lot of great things from, uh, as a leader and in transforming uh, yourself and also in, in, in the company as well. So is there a particular person in your life that you think, uh, or maybe even a few people who had a real impact on who you are, you know, Sometimes it's a parent, sometimes it's a professor, sometimes it's your first boss, but anyone like that that really had a big impact on you? Gosh, a lot of people have had impact on me and getting me to where I am. Both within the organization and without, I have a right arm in our company that I could not have been even close to achieving what I have without her help, and she's transitioning along with us into new challenges internally, but I've Knowing that I lacked that ownership component and that financial responsibility, I really reached out to other business owners in our industry Mm -hmm. who, having 22 years of experience, I had some relationships in that respect. And then I did join some leadership groups, ABL, as you mentioned, and 
convene, which is a Christian leadership group I belong to also. And I think that the fellowship that I've gotten with those groups and individuals has really been the difference for me in not fearing what I don't know yet. Mm -hmm. I just, there's nothing that I'm afraid to tackle at this point because I feel like I have a network of people that can help me overcome whatever obstacle I might find. Well, not having that fear of obstacles, that's a pretty big achievement for anyone in business, but especially someone who's running a company. Is that something that you spend time trying to help your employees understand as well? Most definitely. I, When you asked about the difference in culture, I would say that's the other component. I like to try to push people a little bit outside their comfort zone and give them challenges that weren't previously in their toolhouse, but they're they're not afraid to fail. They're not afraid to make a mistake mm-hmm. because I'm extremely forgiving in that. I don't expect perfection. I just expect you to do your best. So we really flourish that mentality in the company, and I think that gives people the confidence to take on things that they wouldn't otherwise embrace because they're they're looking for success and they're not afraid if they don't. Yeah, throwing someone a project they don't really know how to do or have never done before. But you know they have the ability and the skill set to do if they just take time to figure it out and ask for help. It's a fantastic way to get someone to grow a little bit, right? To exactly. That's get... why I'm here, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've, we've, we've pushed her out of her comfort zone a little bit on the radio, uh, but she's done a great job today. So if people are interested uh, in learning more about you, about your company, maybe they need a... Uh, somebody in IT that for you to come in and staff them with a great person. How can they learn more about uh, your company? I would recommend they go to our website, uh, imssvs.com. Uh, we're also available on social sites, Facebook, LinkedIn. I can be reached at our main office number in Huntington Beach. We uh, would love to receive calls from any consultant, full-time IT professional looking for a career change or client in need of it resources well for your first time on our show you've done a fantastic job we appreciate you being here and um yeah and and even though you didn't want to answer the reading question you gave us a great (laughs) answer so see you got to ask sometimes you have to ask people questions that are pushing out their comfort zone right well thank you you go (laughs) i appreciate the challenge all right well leslie thank you so much for joining us and it's been you know i said pleasure having you on the show as well as, as our first guest uh Brittany Hodak. Make sure you tune in next week, uh, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, to hear a best of talent talk. Because um, I'll be off next week out to New York. But uh, in two weeks, I'll welcome in uh, Michael Fleming, CEO of uh, Parlor Enterprises, um, which is the uh, Ferrell's, the newly local Ferrell's kind of um, explosion that's occurred. And also Anna uh, Bedolio. I, I never say her last name correctly. Did I say that right? Mike just gave me a thumbs up. I think that was sarcastic. And an associate career consultant uh, for Lee Hack Terrison um, to the show. So until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio Show brought to you by People G2. 